Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. Hello, are you ready to get started? <laughs> Super ready. Very ready. Born ready. Been ready. Love that. Love that for you. Love that for me. Love that for us. I'm Jess. I'm Sydney. And this is Malpractice Podcast. P.S. Early voting started today. Oh, yeah. So you should go and early vote, everyone. Everyone should. I was going to say, make sure you're registered. It's too late for that. If you're not, you're out. It's too late. But yeah, go. Please, God, vote. (laughs) This woman came by our house and was doing like a survey. Oh, cool. And I was like, Mm ma'am, we're gay. (laughs) I got one of those, too. And one of them was from the NAACP. And I opened my door and she was like, oh, well, I guess I can still ask you these questions. And I was like, you, what? What's up? You should. Ask away. <laughs> she was like, are you going to vote? And I was like, absolutely. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and then we, yeah, we just vibed for a second about how good it was to vote. <laughs> yeah. The girl was like, are you voting for Abbott? And I was like, absolutely never. And she was like, okay, noted. Authentically could not be me. What else is new? You got a piercing. I did. I pierced my, it's called your your daith. It's like the little cartilage part inside your ear. I felt pretty cool about it, even though it hurt like an absolute bitch. It looks cool. And then someone made a joke that I was having a midlife crisis, and I was like, maybe that is what's happening. That's none of their business. It's <laughs> none of anyone's business, except it's probably accurate. Like, just a smidge. And it's still not anyone's business. While I'm in the middle of writing my dissertation, I had kind of a freak out and went and got a piercing. Stab me in the ear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the guy was like, I want to feel something. I'll do that. I'll stab <laughs> you in the ear. <laughs> well, I think it's cool. I like it. Thanks. I'm going to be really excited to change the jewelry out because right now it's like a, you know, very industrial looking. I like it. Not really my style. I think it's cool. Thank you. It's a good balance for you. I think it's okay, except right now I'm wearing a flannel and it's not a good combo job. Yeah. You look gay. It's okay. <laughs> I either need to put on more makeup or not a flannel or a less industrial earring. Because in the middle of all three of those mixing together. I think you just live it. It's a vibe. (laughs) I like it. It is a vibe. It's not the particular vibe that I'm going for right now. But we're here for it. But we're here. We're on your team. Also, have you seen Dairy Girls? You've asked me this before. And yes, I have. I have. (laughs) On the show? I think so. <laughs> Are you obsessed with it yet? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Because I am so obsessed with it that I've rewatched all three seasons, I think twice. I really like that show. That's a good... If you're looking for I a good show, that it. is a good show. It's like a feel-good show. Yeah. It's good for you. You'll like it. No matter what, you'll basically like it. Yeah. It's like you have to. That's the rules. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah. What do you got going on? What'd you do this weekend? Nothing. <laughs> I didn't do anything. Um, That's great. I cannot think of one thing I did. Oh, we we found a really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not cool at all. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. It's like sounds super <laughs> lame. So we found a good bagel spot. <laughs> First of all, that's not lame. Bagels are the tits. So I I was like. I want breakfast, and we don't really eat breakfast, so I was like, I need it right now. And I found this bagel spot, mm-hmm. um, and it was re- it's called like Boss Bagels or something. Mm. It is so good. Like they have fancy bagels. Like Michelle had a yeah, French absolutely. toast bagel sandwich. Ooh, oh yeah, 
It was a it was a bop. I love a big old man. When you come to San Antonio, I'll take you. We'll go. Yeah. Okay, perfect. The the round treat that I've been really into lately, I have to tell you, is so I I take a rice cake, I put That is not a treat. Peanut butter on top of it. That doesn't make it better. That just makes it and healthy. Then I put melted chocolate. Okay, on here top we go. Of that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it tastes like a Reese's, but it's healthier than a Reese's. You're like this treat is only twenty calories. Like No. That's not a treat then. That's just a snack. <laughs> There's not a treat that exists that's twenty calories. If it is twenty calories, then it is not a treat by definition. Yeah, that is the rule. I agree with that. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Do, is that all we had? Do you want to get into it? <laughs> that's okay, it. Perfect. That's all that needs to be said. Now I'm mad about treats. Same. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I'm excited about this one because it's disgusting. Let's while out. I'm so excited about this episode. Same. Okay. So remember when, um, not you, Sydney, everyone else listening, you guys. Yeah. Remember when Sydney was attacked by that vicious catfish that I then said I was going to avenge and like murder and all catfish. catfish and or purchase all <laughs> yeah. catfish at the store? I remember. Right. So catfish can like transmit flesh-eating bacteria. Mm-hmm. And Sydney was sharing that with me. And I was like, that's fucking gross. Correct. And then I was thinking like. Imagine if a catfish took you down. (laughs) But then also, Sydney and I were talking about that, and we wanted to cover flushing bacteria in an episode. So welcome to this disgusting conversation. Before you wrote this part of the script, I did not realize that that's actually how we came up with this idea, because that's... It's 100% how. Equal parts terrifying and hilarious to me. Because if that catfish... I've never recovered knowing that. <laughs> Can you imagine if I died from that catfish? Can you imagine how enraged I would be at all fish? Right, forever. Because I was, like, uh, writing the part about the symptoms. I was like, I had some of these symptoms, and I would not have known to go seek emergency medical attention if it had gotten worse. Yeah. At first. It's crazy. You don't love to see. We're gonna talk about it. Medical attention, though. Let's be clear. I don't, and you do. I will always seek a professional opinion. <laughs> Jessica's like, you don't have to tell me to go ASAP because I'm already there. I'm actually freaking out. <laughs> I've been here before they opened. <laughs> if I have a symptom, I'm at the ER. <laughs> that's it, and that's that's the rules for me. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, if I'm dying. I'll wait probably four days and see how it goes. If I'm dying, I'm probably fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Go to the doctor or I'm coming to take you. Correct. (laughs) There's got to be a happy medium between hypochondriac and uh, complete opposite what I do. I'm just so sure... That something is, like, always really wrong. <laughs> like, I'm so... Yeah. Po- I think it has to do with my life story, if we think back for just silently for a second. <laughs> I think that mm-hmm. it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moment of silence. So we're going to start and talk about something super topical. So we all know that the U.S. experienced Hurricane Ian, which, like, completely devastated Florida. But there's even more devastation coming and is there currently. So for those who don't know, Ian was a Category 4 Atlantic hurricane. That was the deadliest hurricane to hit Florida since 1935. I did not know that. And we know that nothing good happened in the 30s. No. In the 1900s. So. For sure. (laughs) It totally took areas of Florida apart. Ian did. Um, And so people are starting to like rebuild. They're starting to recover. 
Um, and I didn't know this, but I was watching some interviews of people in Florida and they were like, we will yeah. stay in Florida. We will never, never leave where I would be like, we got to go. <laughs> I can't stay here. This It would take one bad hurricane for me to be like, peace, punch, Captain Crunch. Bye. Um, and they still have like standing water. They still have stuff. And like, that's where the problems are. Yeah. But now they have more issues. Essentially, there's like this new threat for Floridians to think about, and it's flesh-eating bacteria, which is sprouting up because of the hurricane. Yeah. Speaking of which, if flesh-eating bacteria following a hurricane isn't the definition of salt in a wound, I literally don't know what is. It's so rude. Right. So the bacteria that's causing this strain is Vibrio vulnificus. Hell yeah. (laughs) Sure. And as of October 19th, there were 65 infections of in Lee County, which was hit the hardest by Hurricane Ian. Mm-hmm. It ca- accounts for the most cases of the bacteria, and it eats away at open wounds. Yeah. So the bacteria is generally found in warm, brackish water, which is a mix of fresh water and salt water, which is what happens after, like, these natural disasters of hurricanes. Right. I know 65 cases doesn't sound too severe, but that's actually over twice the rate that you would normally see for Vibrio vulnificus infections, including 11 deaths total so far. Lee County actually accounts for about 45% of those infections, which is a wild high rate for such a small area. Mm -hmm. So this is 65 infections and 11 deaths in 2020 so far, compared to Florida state data from previous years, which were 34 cases and 10 deaths in 2021, and 36 cases and only 7 deaths in 2020. So the number of cases seen this year so far is pretty unusual. Since the health department began reporting data in 2008, annual reported cases have generally ranged from 16 to 50 a year for Florida. Just to say that at the top so we don't scare the pants off of everyone listening, these types of bacterial bacterial infections are generally quite rare. But if you're in and around brackish water, you definitely increase your risk. The Lee County Department of Health spokesperson Tammy Solis told CNN... Quote, the Department of Health for Lee County is observing an abnormal increase in cases of this bacteria, I'm not going to butcher that name again, (laughs) infections as a result of exposure to the floodwaters and standing waters following Hurricane Ian. And goes on, almost all of the reported infections have been caused by exposure to the floodwaters with people leaving and entering their flooded homes or participating in post-storm cleanup. So Mm -hmm. some of these people are like, volunteers like cleaning up yeah there have sadly been six deaths among lee county residents already connected to yeah the bacteria so if you're in florida especially just be really careful we're going to give you a little bit of information about how to avoid this and how to identify it really early on so Flesh-eating bacterial infections, as the, you know, the media always calls it flesh-eating, I think, because it sounds terrifying, and also no one knows what necrotizing fasciitis is. (laughs) Um, But they mean the same thing. It's a bacterial infection which can actually be caused by a few different types of bacteria, and the way they classify this disease medically is actually according to which type of organism is causing the infection. So... A type 1 infection is usually caused by various species of gram-positive cosi, like Staphylococcus aureus, 
This is um, MRSA. It's involved in about a third of cases, which are actually the bacteria that cause staph infections, if you recognize the the staph prefix, Mm -hmm. or potentially gram-negative rods, including things like E. coli and sometimes anaerobes like the Clostridium species. We'll talk about... um, Clostridium specifically a little bit later, but a type 2 infection occurs in about 20 to 30 percent of cases. These mainly involve the extremities like arms and legs. This mainly involves Streptococcus pyogenes bacteria, which are actually the bacteria that cause strep throat in humans. This one is the most common since an estimated 15 to 30 percent of people in general are actually walking around as carriers of strep just like on your skin right now. Make sure you wash your hands. Absolutely wash your hands. You better make sure you wash your hands. <laughs> you have strep on your fingers. You have strep on your fingers. You better make sure you wash your hands. <laughs> I love that. Um, that's the moral of this whole story. So when I saw like E. coli staff, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get necrotizing. These are everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to get it. I don't. And as we discussed, I don't want it. And so. um, You're not going to get it. Yeah. I think like it just reaffirmed. Yeah. Wash your hands. I was also reading some sources that with this strep A type infection, you can actually get it if you have an open wound and someone who has strep throat coughs into your wound, which is like, it would require kind of a lot, right? Like a special circumstance. But if you're around someone who has a strep A type throat infection, you can actually contract it from that. I'm thinking of like parents with kids who have strep and they're like coughing on their arms. And yeah, keep your, your wounds away from people who are coughing. Seems like a good idea in general. And did you read also, I'm sure this is later, but like sometimes people don't even know they have an open wound. Right. Because it can be as small small. as a pinprick. Yes. Or I read in one source that it can even be bruising where your skin becomes like thinned out or psoriasis. If you have a skin condition that affects the integrity of your skin, it's like all kinds of things can make you more vulnerable. Right. Which is kind of terrifying. I'm telling you, I really miss the days... This is an un- this is a hot take mm-hmm. of just stay at home orders. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hot take. I'm joking, kind of, but like people were just I didn't get sick at all, like until I got COVID. People were a lot more careful, right. and now yeah. people are like, "Let's wild out." I'm like, "Let's wash our hands. Let's keep washing Let's our still hands. Wear a mask, pretty yeah. please." <laughs> also, the thing that stresses me out about the strep A infection specifically is that. For most people, strep throat is not ever even in the realm of, like, fatal. Right. But then a strep-type infection can become rapidly fatal, and no one really understands why. I read a paper where they said it may be how your body attacks it that was really interesting. It's so terrifying. But that's kind of terrifying, that just this normal bacteria that's probably on your skin in about one out of every three people can get into your skin and 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 kill you in a matter of days. Yeah. Right. It's like my worst nightmare, this this episode. Correct. Like, I am actually having a heart attack. I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, the, the media calls it, like, flesh-eating bacteria because they're trying to scare people. Yeah. But the more I read about this, the more scared I was, which is not usually the case. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, like, pretty logical. So the fact that you're more scared, I feel like yeah. logic queen because I'm never... It's just intense. It's a lot. It is. Yeah, it is. 
Sorry for the tangent. This is Tangent City. Welcome to the club. I know. Tangent City. <laughs> who, are you, who are you apologizing to? Not me, not the listeners. They like it, I think. I hope right? so. I think so. Right, you guys? Okay, a type 3 infection, which is actually rather rare, is caused by our friend Vibrio vulnificus from the stories about Florida that we were talking about earlier. And then type 4, people are like, I don't know, seems maybe fungal, but nobody knows. Well, I okay. love it so much when the medical community is like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I love that. Yeah, same. I love it so much. As someone who has to know, Yeah, I love that. Thanks also, so much, you guys. Study, please. It's especially stressful because it's so rare. So it's so rare anyway. And then if the fourth type of infection is super rare, like, there's almost no incentive to study it because, like, probably five people a year die from that, right? Those poor five people. It's so sad, but it's also... Yeah, numbers game. I I think you should study it. <laughs> Me? No. <laughs> oh no, you as in the scientific medical community. <laughs> I was like, I gotta get out of here, bitch. I'm not studying anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, not you. You're done. Okay. You've you've served science. Phew. Thank you. Thanks, science. Somebody get on it. Not me. The CDC has actually categorized necrotizing fasciitis as an invasive disease because the infection attacks the body's connective tissue called the fascia which is not usually the target of bacterial infections. So if you take like a cross section of your skin, the layers of your skin go dermis on the outside, then epidermis, then a layer of fat, then superficial fascia, then adipose tissue, which is fat, then deep fascia, and then muscle. So your fascia is basically a multi-layer connective tissue that surrounds and holds your skin to your muscles, holds your organs, your nerves, your blood vessels in place. It surrounds and provides support to muscles, tendons, ligaments, organs, nerves, joints, bones. So basically, it's everywhere. And what that means is that when bacteria begins to attack it, it's not good. And I'm sure this is all compounded and the skin being the lar- largest organism, organ <laughs> is what I meant, not organism, organ in your body. Yeah, 100%. And the fact that you just have bacteria sitting on your skin at all times. So necrotizing fasciitis, this is the rare infection that attacks muscle, fat, and connective tissue and causes those substances to die. Mm-hmm. This happens when bacteria enters the skin through that injury or break in the skin, and then it attacks healthy tissue, like what we discussed what happened in Lee County in Florida. Yeah. It's fast-moving and requires the quickest diagnosis of for treatment to be effective. When it's not treated early and aggressively, it can be and often is fatal when it's not treated. Not like yeah. in its existence, but when it's left untreated, that's when it becomes fatal. Right. According to Memorial Herman, the average duration from symptom onset to death can be less than 36 hours. So it has to be dealt with as quickly as possible. Again, according to a hospital, yeah, the average duration from symptom onset to death can be less than 36 hours. Yeah. Bitch. It's fast. That's a no time. That's no that's time. super fast. That's how long I would spend being like, should I go to the doctor? Correct. You have to go. You have to go. Also, I read one study that said even when it's treated relatively quickly, the risk of death is still between 25 and 35 percent. That's if you go within like 24 hours of infection, you still have about one in four chance of dying, which is terrifying. So 
getting treatment ASAP is really critical because delaying treatment is associated with a much higher risk of dying from this type of infection, essentially. Yeah. And like amputations, like all of that. Yeah. If you don't go in right away, that's definitely going to happen. The longer you wait, the worse it gets, period. It's just, yeah, it's not a pleasant situation. Yeah. So why do you have to move quickly? I have an answer. (laughs) The bacteria produces toxins called enterotoxins, which Mm -hmm. immediately after coming through the skin's surface, like, they're on. The toxins can cut off blood flow to surrounding muscle, fat tissue, skin tissue, which causes them to die. No oxygen, no life. R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. As the toxins spread, they begin eating away and multiplying. And this is all happening within the fascia that Sid Sid was talking about, which I appreciate because it reminded me of the layers of the earth. (laughs) That's like all over your body, right? Yeah. So it's making it easy for the bacteria to move through it quickly. Dr. Linda Yancey, yeah, I think that's right, is an infectious disease specialist affiliated with Memorial Hermann. Mm -hmm. And she said, I've actually watched it, being necrotizing fasciitis, move up a patient's leg while I was sitting at their bedside. That's how fast it can travel. To which I say, no, (laughs) no thank you. Oh, that makes me so uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Like, imagine as the doctor watching it happen. And being like, oh, that's necrotizing fasciitis and we have to do something about it right now, immediately. I'm going to have to go. You have to go to surgery and I'm cutting off your leg probably. Probably, yeah, right now. Yeah. So let's talk about how the infection process actually works because it's a bacteria that makes something as small as a paper cut fatal within three days. It sounds like a science fiction plot line. It does. It doesn't sound like it could be real. Thank you for saying that because I... Was like, this is not a real, I like, I know it's real. Yeah. Because I was reading about it and I'm like, this can't be real. I definitely understand. And I definitely had to keep reminding myself how uncommon it is because I kept freaking myself out. Yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. So the bacteria enters your body somehow, generally through a cut or open wound like Jess was talking about. Although some people have gotten it in the past from eating raw or undercooked seafood, especially oysters. I love oysters. Moment of silence because I love raw oysters. I do too. I do. I want some right now. Same. I would eat a raw oyster right at the second. Right. right Even now. after doing this episode. After this threat. <laughs> I would go slurp down an oyster. So good. Do not care. The skin at the infection site may actually appear normal at first, but the pain will be way out of proportion compared to what the wound looks like. So it'll be way more painful than a typically infected wound. And that's one of the first signs that something is really wrong. The skin appearing normal is especially problematic because it masks how badly the tissue underneath the skin is being destroyed by this bacteria. Yeah. This is also scary. Yes, it is. It's like traveling under your skin. Right. And killing everything. And you're like, oh my God, I can feel yes. the battle happening happening but it looks like nothing and everybody and thinks think you're, you're being probably dramatic. crazy yeah <laughs> and you know what if that's not proof that i should always go to the doctor when i'm panicking i don't know what it is <laughs> i don't know what i it will is. go to the freaking doctor <laughs> if it's something like this you have to go so next most people develop a serious fever and diarrhea sometimes including stomach cramping and vomiting as well so for most people that's the sign that something is very seriously wrong because you have a fever like 102 or higher. No, all of that sounds like alarming. Something is really wrong almost immediately. Let's not do that. But at first, the symptoms almost seem flu-like. And so people don't necessarily immediately connect it with the fact that they have like a wound, right? So I'm panicked. Right. 
The symptom onset makes diagnosis extremely difficult because most of those things are also likely to occur with like a normal non-life-threatening infection. Next, the skin around the wound will start to look red and or purple pretty quickly, and then the skin will start to harden and swell, causing the skin around the infection to look shiny and kind of tensely stretched. Go to the doctor. Right. Next, you might see the formation of what's called a bule or multiple bule, which looks quite frankly like a blister with blood in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fluid feel, fluid-filled sac, I cannot speak, <laughs> trapped under a thin layer of skin. And having those appear around a very painful wound is not a good sign. The next step is necrosis, where the tissues around the wound start to die and may turn from reddish purple to black or white, and your skin would start flaking off in, like, big sheets. No, thank you. We, correct. No, no, no. I, if you don't go to the doctor at that point, I straight up don't know what to tell you because that's crazy. I don't know what to tell you if you don't go to the doctor when you develop blisters, bitch. And fever. <laughs> get get yourself to Immediately emergency help. straight to the doctor. Straight to the doctor. And then straight to jail. And then straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. The real light bulb moment comes when sepsis sets in, which is a full body reaction to the infection. And to be honest, at this point, it, it would really be a coin toss whether you're going to make it if you get to the sepsis stage, probably. Seriously. Because sepsis is real. Real serious. Um, this can present as rapid shallow breathing, increased heart rate, and fever. Essentially, your body starts shutting down from the infection, and the infection has reached your bloodstream. Another serious sign would typically accompany the later stages is a huge drop in blood pressure, which is actually a sign of toxic shock syndrome. Now, most people who hear toxic shock syndrome are about to think of the warning on a tampon box because, yeah, well, same. So it is that toxic shock syndrome. It's the same. So when Jess said earlier that the bacteria can release toxins in your bloodstream, that's TSS, and it can be very deadly. Ultimately, it can lead to a dangerously low drop in blood pressure and eventually multi-system organ failure, which is when three or more of your organs fail. About 50% of toxic shock cases are actually fatal on their own by the time they're diagnosed. So if you're experiencing this with necrotizing fasciitis, you're probably about three or four days into the infection and things are not looking good. Yeah, three or four days and you're supposed to get attention within 36 hours. Get it quick, yeah. Get you, I don't know what to tell you, go to the hospital immediately. Please, yes. So without giving medical advice for obviously legal reasons and because I don't have any (laughs) real to give you besides go to the doctor, Yeah. if you have any of those early symptoms, um, it's important to seek medical care like as soon as possible mm-hmm. um, or sooner than possible. Um, once you finally get diagnosed, you have to go in for an emergency surgery to stop the spread of the infection. Yeah. Intravenous antibiotics will be given to help the body fight off as best it can for the infection that's already happening. And just FYI, I have people in my life who have yeah. um, died from sepsis and my mom almost died from being in like septic shock because of a stupid surgeon. Well, <laughs> I don't know if he was stupid, but he made a mistake. But it's like really serious. Like you're, it is life or death at that point. Yeah. The surgery that you're going in for, the goal is to drain the infection and remove dead tissue. The tissue removal is called debridement which I learned from a Gray's Anatomy um, <laughs> and creates large wounds and sometimes requires amputation, 
like I said, of whatever limb or area that is infected. The large wounds require months of recovery and patients are put in an intensive care unit to help with the wound care post-surgery. And I just want to say this also. Mm -hmm. If you have, can you imagine the panic? They tell you, you have necrotizing fasciitis, Mm -hmm. which came in from a paper cut, per se. Or you're in floodwaters and you didn't know you stuck a pin. Yeah. And now you have a gaping wound. Mm-hmm. And they're... I would be like, no one can come in They're like, here. amputation is a possibility. I, no one can come in here, actually. Right. You have to be full, full... What is it when you wear, like... PP. Uh, a ghost bus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You have to be full like that. And so yeah. do I. <laughs> and same. <laughs> also, can we talk about debridement? Did you see pictures of this? I have seen this, and it's disgusting. Okay. They're essentially trying to cut out the infected parts, which, like Jess was saying, can lead them to amputate limbs if they feel that they can't get all the bacteria out with debridement, which, yikes. Also, they basically flood your entire system with a combination of antibiotics like penicillin, clindamycin, vancomycin, and gentamicin to try and kill the bacteria. They're just... They're throwing everything they can at it. They're throwing it all. Correct. Spaghetti at a wall. See what sticks. Just yeah. something help this, please, is what they're doing. No, seriously. So while necrotizing fasciitis is quite rare, it's obviously super serious. According to the CDC, 650 to 850 cases are reported each year in the U.S. with an average mortality rate of about 25%, which is... I would say relatively high. Pretty high, yeah. To put those numbers into perspective, about 200 people in the U.S. die from bee stings each year. I'm glad you brought that up. Which is also too high. Because that's crazy. (laughs) I did not know that. And that is why I'm fucking scared of bees. Because aren't you allergic to bees? Yeah, just a smidge. I bet a lot of people are allergic to bees. Yeah. And you know what? Let's just talk shit about my dad for one second. (laughs) I thought you were going to say about bees for one second. I was at a soccer game. I was actually, um, Mm -hmm. I have like distinct memory. The first field when you turn into the soccer complex in Nacogdoches, that field. Yeah. And a bee landed on me. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, don't move and it won't sting you. They always say that. I know. It's a it's a lie. That bee was ferocious. <laughs> so I froze because I yeah. was scared. And that bitch just stung me immediately. <sighs> and then my arm was like purple. Yeah, you're real allergic, right? Allergic. Well, I don't have an EpiPen, but it's like my arm is purple and swollen. But I'm not going to lose yeah. like the ability to breathe. Still feels like an allergy. It's not a good yeah. time. So anyway. It's stressful. Don't trust bees. Never trust a bee, but them. also save the bees. And natural pollinators. Yeah. What's kind of terrifying about all of this, besides everything that we've already said, is that it can happen, it seems, to almost anyone. Like, there's a very sad story about a 21-year-old named Devin Adair, who was a tight-end football player from the University of Tulsa. He's like a big, healthy kid. He suddenly became ill with flu-like symptoms, and he died one week later. An autopsy revealed that he had sadly passed away from the complications of a staph infection that had caused necrotizing fasciitis. So it can happen to young, healthy people. So scary. But there are some risk factors to look out for. Mm -hmm. More than 70 percent of cases are recorded in people with at least one of these clinical situations. Immunosuppression, diabetes, alcoholism, drug abuse or smoking, malignancies like cancer. Uh, chronic systemic diseases and or steroid usage. Also skin issues like psoriasis that compromise the physical integrity of the barrier that is your skin can be a risk factor. So that's not to say if you have those things, you are going to get necrotizing fasciitis. It's just 
If you have one of those things and you've been in a situation where you could have come into contact with this type of bacteria, it's important to mention that to your physician when you go in, maybe. It usually begins either in the extremities, so like hands, feet, arms, legs, or the genital area. Mm -hmm. And the best way to reduce your own risk is to practice, number one, good hand washing and good wound care. Like use antibiotic ointments, pay attention to your wounds, and for God's sake, please try to avoid brackish water if you have an open wound. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Please. Please avoid everything if you have an open wound. Please and thank you. So this disease has actually been around for a long time, or at least known about. Um, The Greek physician Hippocrates described the condition more than 2,000 years ago, but the disease was first formally discovered, quote, unquote, Mm -hmm. because you know how I feel about discovering things. That exist. Mm -hmm, That are of here. Like, I discovered this blanket. No, you didn't. In 1783 in France. It was common during the Civil War, where over 2,000 cases were reported among soldiers, with a mortality rate of about 50%. Which actually seems weirdly good, considering that with modern healthcare, it's like 30%. I think that the practice at the time was like, is this bad? Cut it off. <laughs> so that's, they probably saved a lot of lives Just, by amputation. Here's some whiskey, bite a belt, and I'm going to cut your leg off. Which sounds... I'm going to cut your leg off. No, thank you. The disease was often found during times of war, which makes sense, because at those times, um, people aren't the most clean or sanitary, historically. Mm -hmm. And easier bacterial spread makes a lot of sense. A Confederate Army surgeon, Joseph Jones, which that's a basic name, (laughs) is generally credited to have provided the modern description of this type of bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. At the time, it was known as hospital gangrene. And then in 1952, a Dr. Bob Wilson was the first person to publish a paper where the actual term necrotizing fasciitis Mm -hmm. was written. Um, Reports about flesh-eating bacteria increased during the 1990s, and more recently, media reports started calling it flesh-eating bacteria. So here we are. Yeah. Welcome. Do you know how long I had to search for Bob Wilson's first name? Bob. (laughs) And it's Bob. Everybody's like, 1952, Dr. Wilson. Dr. B. Wilson, and it's Bob. It's Bob. I should have just made something up. Like Probably Bob. would have been Bob. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would have made up for B, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some weird cases and outbreaks. There's one particular set of cases from the late 1990s and early 2000s. Can you hear my cat trying to break into my recording <laughs> area right now? Okay. No, I can't. If you can, it's loud and I'm sorry. Okay, late 1990s, early 2000s, when a drug called black tar heroin was apparently on the rise in the city of San Francisco. According to one article, black tar heroin is a dense, gummy, coal-colored substance that is produced from opium grown in the mountainous regions of northern Mexico. Crude processing techniques lead to the production of a lower purity substance than, like, powdered heroin, I guess which is commonly full of contaminants and sometimes bacteria. People who use this drug also do something called skin popping, which, okay, where they inject it under their skin or directly into the muscle. So they, they like, use the needle to separate, like, they, they direct it, like, into the fascia, basically, yeah. instead of into a vein. No. Right. Dislike. I don't even want to think nope. about it, but people do that. If that drug happens to contain a particular bacteria that's been correlated with black tar heroin called Clostridium, belonging to the Clostridium family, like it did for about 30 patients in the San Francisco 
area during this time, it can lead to a really bad type 2 necrotizing fasciitis infection. And I bet it's also like the use of the needles, like they're unclean, yeah. bacteria, yeah. beep boop up. <laughs> here we are. Right. So I don't think it's uncommon, especially if you're using a drug like black tar heroin to share needles. Yeah. And so... If one person gets infected, a second person is going to get infected if they use that same needle. Yeah. In 1999, 28-year-old Stacy Kihas was the second person to die of this infection at around 1.30 a.m. after contracting the infection from a shared needle used to inject black tar heroin. Stacy came in with what doctors thought was an abscess wound at the site where she had injected the drug. Um, and after the infection began to quickly spread... They tried four different surgeries to limit the bacterial spread. None of them work. Stacy passes away. Her roommate came in shortly afterward after sharing the needle with Stacy, and she died within two hours of being admitted to the hospital. I read in a different source that later they had a third roommate who was also sharing that needle and also died in the hospital shortly after, yeah. admit after being admitted. I read that too. So the takeaway here is definitely, number one, uh, don't do heroin. Please. Please. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great life rule to follow number two keep your wounds clean wash your hands correctly like use soap scrub in between your fingers get everything nice and dry don't touch the door on your way out of the bathroom yeah which if you're using black tar heroin that's probably the least of your worries but and then number three tell your doctors what you've been up to because you may not think personally that your drug use matters when it comes to like a sore on your leg but if it can give them a better idea of what tests they need to run and what they need to look out for then you need to communicate that information to them hundred percent yeah yeah i love the don't do heroin <laughs> same thumbs up i we can all stand behind that one yeah i think so no controversy there no, no issues no qualms one last case we want to cover um that is equal parts terrifying and inspiring is the story of amy copeland amy was a healthy active 24 year old master's student when she had a zipline accident where she fell from a zipline as it broke and this is why you won't see me on a zipline mm -hmm. and she cut her leg as she fell into a bunch of sharp rocks again no ziplining for me and then she was in brackish water that was below the rock so just bad bad situation like already so bad the wound on her leg required 22 staples to close it so it was really rough yeah after getting the staples she said that within a couple of days, the wound on her leg didn't seem to be getting better, and she felt the pain from her leg moving into other parts of her body. Mm -hmm. Red flag, mayday. Yeah. Amy says this is what happened next. Quote, then one morning I woke up and discovered my entire left leg looked like it was rotting. Ugh. I couldn't speak, and I felt like I was dying. What happens next remains a blur. What happened next was she was immediately hospitalized and eventually diagnosed with necrotizing fasciitis mm -hmm. and afraid that her life was in danger. Doctors had her airlifted to a hospital in Augusta, Georgia, where they immediately told her parents that her organs had started to fail. Yeah. They asked for permission to amputate her left leg and some of her abdomen to stop the bacteria from spreading to other parts of her body, to which she apparently responded like a total badass, right? Like, let's do this. I would be the same, be like, chop my leg. Oh, no, I would never. I'd be crying like a punk. <laughs> no, but you would chop your leg. Well, you have to chop your leg. Chop, chop. If they say chopping your leg will save your life, you chop your leg. But I don't think I... Like, she's very cool about it. She's like, let's do this. Oh, I'd be like, chop my That's leg impressive. off. Immediately. I'll chop it off. <laughs> I'd be like, why was I on a zip line? 
like, I have been coerced. <laughs> Jessica would be like, something is wrong about this whole story. <laughs> I should never have been there. Something happened. I'm a zipline type of bitch. You know that. Uh, yeah, I'll see you at the bottom. <laughs> so this healthy young woman eventually had to have both of her hands, her entire left leg, her and her right foot amputated. Mm-hmm. But Amy didn't, like, let that stop her. So since then, she has reconnected with the outdoors, which she says was an essential component to her physical, mental, and spiritual recovery, which I'm sure you need. Right. Um, and she and her family went on to create the Amy Copeland Foundation, which has provided a fleet of all-terrain wheelchairs to uh, for free use by people with disabilities or, or who are differently abled within the Georgia State Parks. Yeah. So they have mindfulness retreats and scholarships, and the Amy Copeland Foundation is still accepting donations, so we will absolutely link that in our show notes. Yeah. Um, so you can recover, right? Like, that's... there. There is... Just go in. Like, as soon as she was like, something's wrong, Yeah. she went to the hospital, and that's why she's alive. Mm-hmm. What an absolute inspiration. That story just gave me chills. Love it. I love it. Yeah. She's so cool. You got anything else? Nope. I don't want to ever talk about this again. That's what we know about flesh-eating bacteria. <laughs> okay, perfect. That's it. It's off the docket. I'm glad we did it. Bye-bye. Goodbye. It, now it is done. If you have a recommendation for a topic that's not disgusting and terrifying, <laughs> please send us a DM on our Instagram Malpractice Podcast. If it is disgusting and terrifying, you can send it, but please send it to Sydney alone. Like, address it to Sydney. <laughs> At Sydney. At Sydney, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I'll read your gross emails. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can email us, too. Yeah, at malpracticepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to leave us a review wherever you like to listen. What else? Is that all? think so cool and don't forget malpractice, malpractice makes, makes perfect, perfect. bye bye